Hello, and welcome to St. Paul's Growing Together, a Bible study podcast resource for the St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnet, Illinois. Because we believe that studying God's Word is important, and that through our time together in God's Word, we grow in our faith in Jesus and our love for one another, we are offering you a chance to come grow with us through listening in on our Bible studies. We now join a Bible class on the Book of Acts, taught by our associate pastor, Mike Hanel. Today, sorry about last week, um, I was somewhat thinking I could make it uh, on, uh, to church, and then like the more I thought, one, I'm going to be in misery, and two, this was, that was only day three of being sick. So I was like, I could still be contagious, and that's the last thing people want. So um, I, I was at home resting, uh, but just junk. I, I, don't, I don't know. Our, our kids had it, and theirs was like a different. They had fevers and stuff. I never had a fever, but just the winds knocked out of me. And uh, I'm, I'm back. I'm here, but I'm still not 100%. So if I sound a little off, that's uh, the explanation, and if I'm not thinking sharply, I'll blame it on that, too. I know, right? No, no. So my birthday was uh, Saturday, not this Saturday, but the Saturday before the Super Bowl. We had plans to go out, and I, I didn't, like, we canceled all those. I said I, I would not enjoy going out to eat and just, like, sitting there. Um, so, yeah, happy birthday. All right, we're going to try to pick up steam again, uh, but since things have kind of been broken up a bit, we had just started Paul's third missionary journey. So it begins at the end of chapter 18. I said the transition between the second and the third missionary journey, uh, it just it just all kind of blends together there. And uh, if you weren't like really carefully reading, you, you would probably think the second and the third missionary journey were all just kind of one and the same because there's really no heading in your Bible that specifically separates this out, probably. Um, but essentially, Paul is, is continuing to do what he did on the second missionary journey, that is, go back and return to places that he's already visited to continue to strengthen those churches, but he also does things a little bit differently. The, the big difference between the second and the third missionary journey is that in the second missionary journey, he spends the vast majority of his time in the Greek city of Corinth. Spends uh, two and a half years there, um, or 18 months, one, one and a half years there. He spends over two years in the third missionary journey in Ephesus. So at the tail end of the second missionary journey, Paul like stops into Ephesus. It was a port city. Uh, it, you know, is on the way back. So he stops in there. He goes to a synagogue and teaches, but it just seems like it's just the preview. But even in that short amount of time, the people there, they wanted him to stay. They wanted him to continue to, to preach, which is kind of amazing because every other place, he kind of seems like he has the opposite reaction where people chase him out of the city. So it just begins to plant that seed there at Ephesus. The third missionary journey, Ephesus will be the big place where he spends a lot of time. 
And so it's especially this section of scripture. If you read the book of Ephesians, it's really illuminating to me to read this part of Acts because this is the background. This talks about Paul's relationship with these people, and it is a very close relationship. He's had a lot of time there to, to get to know the people, to be a part of their lives. Unlike some of the other cities, uh, Colossians, for instance, he, he doesn't really have a, a personal relationship to that church. Galatians, uh, that whole region, he, he's, he's there a few different times, but it doesn't seem like he ever really stays at those places for extended periods of time. So Ephesians and Corinthians, those are the two places when Paul writes those epistles, you can know he knows these people very well. He spent a lot of time there on the ground with them. So we're previewing that at the end of Acts 18. Um, and then we got this weird kind of uh, interlude about our guy Apollos. And it seems that Apollos pops up here really because when Paul is going to return to Ephesus, this seems like it's, it's, it's background information. Um, I noted that Paul is going to mention Apollos in his letter to the Corinthians uh, because the, the people there were starting to kind of break into factions like, I follow Peter, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and uh, because they were all very different men and they all had very different skills and would have appealed to, to different parts of the, the city there, you know, the, the intellectuals versus, you know, some of the more common, ordinary folks. Apollos seems to speak as kind of that intellectual, he's a very eloquent person. Uh, uh, Paul, not that he's not eloquent, but uh, you heard it in our, if you're in church today, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we, we read about that, and Paul said, I didn't come in eloquence, right? He, he's, he's sort of divorcing himself from that. Not that that's bad, but his point is, it's the wisdom of God that is the most important thing. It is God's wisdom, and God's wisdom appears to fo as foolishness to a lot of the people. No matter how you put it in words, that idea that, that God sent his son to this world to die, to suffer, that that does not make sense to the, the greater world out there where gods are not physical beings. Gods cannot suffer in the way that we can. They are above all of that. But our message, our gospel, is that our God becomes flesh and blood and lives among us. So Apollos pops up here and what we learn about him, besides his eloquence, is that he had an incomplete picture of the gospel. So he knew some things, but not, an, but not other things. We don't know the whole list of what does he know and what doesn't he know. We just know that there were some deficiencies. And so Aquila and Priscilla hear him. These were uh, people that had been with Paul in Corinth. They were originally in Rome, but Claudius kicked all the Jews out. They hear him, and they take him aside. They take Apollos aside and kind of fill in some of those missing details. And from there on, Apollos goes to Corinth. So Apollos and Paul don't overlap in Ephesus. Paul was there. And then he taught for just a little bit, and then he's on his way back to Jerusalem and Antioch. 
And then Apollos shows up there. And then Apollos is there for just a little bit, and then he leaves. Meanwhile, Paul is on his way back. And when he comes to Ephesus, he's going to be spending more time there. So he has a better opportunity to kind of assess the situation. His first time there, just a very brief visit, he doesn't do much. He probably doesn't learn much. He wasn't there long enough. But now that he's going to be there to stay, he has a chance to iron out some of the wrinkles, to learn about some of these problems firsthand. Is it possible that he had, in the meantime, received a message um, from Priscilla and Aquila about what was going on in Ephesus? Perhaps, but... uh, that, that's reading between the lines. It's, it's information we don't know. What we do know is that uh, chapter 19 begins. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I'm going to step back before I get that question. He found some disciples. This is an enigmatic phrase. Um, how does he know that they're disciples? How does he find them? How are they recognized? Do you have any thoughts? Like, how do you just, oh, here are some disciples. How would he know? What do you, what do you think might have been signs? Or what, what would give them away as disciples? <laughs> okay. So he sees, he sees somebody else preaching to them, so it looks like a, a, a gathering to, to hear and learn God's word, a Bible study or worship. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts? How, how would he recognize disciples? Do you think they had a special uh, jersey that they wore, a handshake? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't know. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't tell us, but it's, again, remarkable, again, to me. Paul, Paul seems to know enough about how the world works and where to find these people, right? We experienced that at Philippi when he went to the yeah, synagogue, but he also goes to places, just like generic places, where people would pray. And, and he finds these people. So he seems to be aware of, like, where is it that, that people who either already believe or are open to, to faith or asking some of these questions, where are these kinds of people found? And that's kind of insightful, I think, for us as we are thinking about, you know, that, that, that mission of of evangelism, of bringing God's word to people, you know, we often, I don't think, are self-aware of, you know, what is it that other people need? What is it that other people are, are looking for? And how can I help them? Most often we're thinking about, okay, today I have this and this to do, and I'm already behind on that, and there's this stuff from last week when I was sick, and how am I ever going to get out from under that whole pile? Like, we're thinking about ourselves a lot, and we're not like, okay, may my eyes be open, may my ears be open to the questions, to the longing, to the hurt, to the pain of, of people 
And then may God give me the words or the actions to be able to connect with them, to be able to encourage them, to be able to love them. I mean, you may not necessarily be uh, giving a, a full-on presentation of the gospel to every single person that you meet, but if there's an opportunity, if there's a, a relationship there, do we have time for those? Do we have energy for those? A, a lot of us, you know, I'm so busy, I already have these relationships. Paul is constantly adding new people to his, his friends list. In all of his letters, in all the epistles, you, you find mention of these people. And, you know, granted, some of them are, are closer and to his, his inner circle than others, but uh, he's always on the lookout for these kinds of people. And, and God blesses these relationships. He blesses these opportunities. So sometimes I think we, you know, maybe we just were a little bit overburdened with our stuff. Um, and, and I understand that. And I, don't, I don't have a, here's how you dump some of that stuff. Uh, if I did that, I'd be like a motivational speaker and be making a lot more money. But to just look for time and space in our lives. And it doesn't even have to be doing new things. It's just in relationships, in some of those opportunities that are already there, I'm the salt and the light. I should be mindful of that. What, what is that going to look like in my life? And sometimes the Spirit itself, Spirit will surprise you. And you'll do things that I didn't, I wasn't planning on doing this, but it just, it's kind of, here I am. And let's, let's talk. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully as other people would look at us, they would they would think the same of us. Like I have a I have a pretty good idea that that person is is a follower of Jesus. Um that's that's always the challenge that we are the salt and the light, but we can also hide our light under that, that basket. All right, Sylvia, let's get to this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So that's his first question, apparently, to these people, which, again, I, I think there must be something more that Paul's picking up on that, that he doesn't tell us, that that would be the first question. Again, it could be that he's already received tips from Priscilla and Aquila, and so he's, he's aware of the fact that there are deficiencies in what people have, have learned, or maybe it's from his own experience. Maybe at, at some of the other places that he's visited, he's become aware of the fact that some people know some things, but they don't know other things. And so first step is to just make sure we're all on the same page. Do we know the same stuff? So here he links Holy Spirit with what? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He's linking it with faith, with belief. Okay. So did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Seems like a, a, a pretty easy question. But their answer is no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> he's like, okay, we got some work to do here because there is a Holy Spirit and it's, he's kind of important to all of, all of this stuff here. So then his next question, into what then were you baptized? Okay, so he's asked about faith and the Holy Spirit. Here he doesn't say spirit again, but he says, into what were you baptized? Which links us with that formula, formula, the words that Jesus gives his disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, you, you're, you're not, you guys don't seem to know anything about this. Well, okay, let's, let's back it up. Do, do you know anything about that? And they say, well, we're not sure. Um, we know about John's baptism, but that's the only baptism that we know about. And so Paul says, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. So on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Stop right there. So what this tells us about some of the general situation here is that John was pretty famous. John had a pretty successful ministry because we're in Ephesus, which I didn't put a map up, but Ephesus is a long ways away from the Jordan River, isn't it? Not anywhere close. But these people have not only heard about John's baptism, but they themselves have received a, a baptism like John's baptism, they said. I don't think John ever made a trip out to Ephesus. It's possible, I guess, but that, that never really was his ministry. Instead, what we know about John is that during the time of his ministry, he attracted disciples. He attracted people who followed him, who listened to him. And these people, it would seem, are probably those that might have traveled, might have told other people. Uh, about John, about his baptism. But that's really weird because we know about John's ministry that John pointed to Jesus, that John was there not for his own sake, but there for Jesus. Jesus is the greater one. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I don't do that. Jesus does that. So, how is it that these guys got some of John's message, but not like the most important part? And I don't have a really good answer to that because it's all, again, this, this is what we have to work with. But it is possible that there were people who were disciples of John, but didn't buy in to the message about Jesus. So they... I think they would have heard about Jesus, but they just, they couldn't get on board. Like, it was too much, too much to believe. This Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, we, we hear you, John, but when they examine Jesus for themselves, 
Does he measure up? Does, does he really look? No, he, he doesn't. He, he just looks like an ordinary guy. And is this, is this the one that's really going to bring judgment upon the world? I don't, I don't think so. So my guess, it's a guess, is that there were people who remained disciples of John and followers of his message, which is very connected to the Old Testament. John is like the last Old Testament prophet, right? So he, he's bringing that message from God, and they bought into some of it, but not other parts, which really is pretty consistent with what happens with all of the prophets in the Old Testament, right? That, that the people would listen to some of what the prophets said, but other parts, yeah, no, we're, we're not, we're not going to really follow that. Here's the other thing. John's gospel, the fourth gospel, is most likely the last gospel written, okay? Probably written, like, in the 90s. And... In the beginning of John's gospel, as, as you read the introduction, there's a lot written about John's ministry and about how hard John works to take the spotlight off of himself. People are asking, are you the Elijah? Are you, you, know, are you the one? And he's like, no, no, I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. This guy is. As John writes this down in his gospel, again, why, why, do, why does the gospel writer, why does he include some things and not other things? Why does he spend so much time on, on John's ministry and about this transition from John to Jesus? I think John, the author of the fourth gospel, who also in his life has connections to Ephesus, John knows that there are people still out there that didn't believe John's message. And John tries to make it clear that this was his, this is the whole reason he was here to point others to Jesus and his own disciples. You know, there's that moment in, in his life when John is in jail and he asks that question about Jesus. Uh, he sends his disciples, are you the one or, or is there somebody else? And when we come to that portion in Scripture, there's this interpretive question. Is John asking for himself, or is he asking for the sake of his disciples? Is John, who's in prison, having doubts whether Jesus is the Messiah, or is this kind of the, the, the push so that when John's life is taken, People will not be like, you know, oh, we, we mourn John and, and now, uh, we, we, we have nothing because John isn't, isn't here anymore. Well, John is trying to point those disciples to Jesus and say, the bridegroom has come. This is, this is it. This is why I had a ministry. So those details are there in the fourth gospel. So again, the, 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 the thought is, we hear about this in Ephesus. There might be other places where John was believed and John was followed, but when he started to talk about Jesus, people couldn't follow that. They rejected that message. Um, we don't know for sure, but there's something weird that's happening when you go to a place and they know about John, 
but they don't know about Jesus. They know about John's baptism of repentance, but they don't know about this greater baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes from Jesus. So that's the situation that Paul's dealing with. Now, the connection back to Apollos, we have there an example of somebody with incomplete knowledge. And he had a perfectly good heart. Apollos was trying to do the right thing. He was not, like, on purpose spreading a false gospel. It's just he did not know all of the details. And so when Priscilla and Aquila talked to him, he's, all right, that's cool. And, and he's excited to go bring that message now to a new place. It isn't that he pushes back and says, no, I don't believe that. That's not true. He is a fellow worker in God's kingdom. So he's introduced as somebody who just didn't have a complete picture. And this is what Paul runs into here. It's weird. It, it seems unusual. But I think if you put together some of the other stuff, Josephus, have you heard of Josephus? He's a, he's a historian, uh, a Jew. He lives after the time of Jesus. Um, he lives during the time of the destruction of Jerusalem and after. So we're talking 70 AD and, and on. In his histories of the Jews, he writes about John. Okay? So he's a Jew. He, he's not a Christian. He does not believe in, in Jesus as his Savior. But even that guy knew about who John was and knew about his ministry. John the Baptist. Yeah, thanks for, for making that correction. Uh, so, again, John, his ministry, the word about it, it was well known. Josephus is living 30, 40 years after the time of John, and he still thinks it's important enough to mention and talk about. So that's like the stuff going on here. Now on, on to the theological questions of what's going on. The next verse after this. So after he tells them, uh, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Tongues. When have we heard about tongues in the book of Acts? Pentecost. That's, that's the, the, real, yep, the really big place. And then not, not at every baptism, though. There was, a, there was a special one, Cornelius and his household. And we had, we had to talk about that when we got there of, you know, what's, what's going on. So, um, but not at every baptism. The Ethiopian eunuch, there's no, there's no talk of tongues, for instance. Uh, Lydia, you know, nothing like that. So it seems, as we got to the Cornelius part, that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit shown by the speaking of tongues was meant as a confirmation that what is happening here is of God. This is not a human thing. This is a, a special demonstration of God's power that is, that is given. It is not promised in every person. It is not promised in every occasion. But it happens here, again, I think, to solidify for these people that, that this 
extra part of the message that Paul is bringing. This is the full message. What they had, they weren't technically Christians. They did not know Christ. They did not know Jesus. They did not know the Holy Spirit. They were like still stuck in the Old Testament, except it's the New Testament world now. Jesus has come. Jesus has suffered and died and rose again and ascended, and he has given his spirit. Pentecost has happened, except it hasn't happened for these people until this moment. So God seems to give them this Pentecost moment. Would they still have received the Holy Spirit without the speaking of tongues? Yeah, that, that, that part had already happened. Um, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came. Came in this very visible way that they are speaking in tongues and prophesying. All of Paul's questions about Holy Spirit connect Holy Spirit with exactly the things that we would think the Holy Spirit should be connected with. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the power of God's Spirit. And the, the very words that God gives us, in baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we receive the Holy Spirit through the gift of baptism. So these people that incomplete knowledge, incomplete experience. And so this is another one of those big moments. You could compare it to that Ethiopian eunuch where he, he knew some things, but, but just didn't know Jesus and how Jesus fulfills all of these things. You would think about Cornelius and his household, that, that they, they wanted to believe in all of this, but they didn't, they didn't know. They didn't know the message. Paul here does that. And then the last little tidbit, there's about 12 of them. Well, isn't that an interesting little number, right? Um, 12 is a number that tends to be symbolic of God's people, right? In the Old Testament, the 12 usually is, is connected to the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So those 12 groups. And then when Jesus picks his disciples... There are a lot of disciples. We know that at the beginning of Acts when they have to replace Judas. Well, Judas is no longer part of us. Let's pick another disciple, another person who has been with us from the beginning, and they seem to have a list of candidates. So there's a much larger number than just the 12, but there is a deliberate choosing of 12 to represent the totality of God's people. And so here... It just so happens, there's about 12. Uh, I, I think this, this is another sign that here, this is the beginning of the church in Ephesus. And where does he start? He starts with people who don't have a complete knowledge, which back the train up, it says that he found some disciples here. Well, now that we know these people were lacking in a lot of things, it's like, how, you know, how, how does he know that they're disciples? It, it wasn't because they were singing hymns to Jesus. They, they were, there's, there's something else going on there. But now they are. Now they are disciples of Jesus. All right, Sylvia, did, did we cover any of the... Because you, you had questions about it two weeks ago, and uh, I, I cut you off because we weren't quite there.
they, uh, when we first encounter them, I would say they, there is no Holy Spirit because they don't, they don't know, they don't know Jesus. They don't know the gospel. There's, there's just, there's ignorance, you know, darkness. And as Paul asks, he discovers their darkness. To, to, because the baptism that they have received is John's baptism. It, it, it's not the same as Jesus's baptism. And, and John in his ministry made that point, right? He says, I, I, I do this baptism of repentance, but one will come who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So, so they were different baptisms. Right, it's it's a, it's a different thing. It's a different washing. Yeah, it, it was it was a, a a different thing. Jesus does a new thing. So, old new, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it it was it was something that that was good to to receive because it was them saying we are sorry for our sins, we repent of our sins, and we want the you know the Lord's help, but. It is not the, the giving of the Holy Spirit and the, the fullness of what Jesus was doing because that hadn't yet happened. Uh, Jesus hadn't given that gift. I have a couple questions. Yeah. John's baptism was, it, was an easy grace. It was not instituted by God. It was, it was John's baptism. There was forgiveness of sins, which meant that Salvation. Yeah. Salvation came to you. It, I, if, if, the, if we're going to put it on level with Jesus' baptism, which when you use, when you, when you lose the, but when you say means of grace, that, yeah. What I really want to back up to is those Old Testament believers. Yeah. Those people who believed that, yes, the Savior was coming, yeah. and knew John's message, that there was one greater than I coming. Yeah. Hadn't come yet. Yeah. Uh, for those people, uh, we, you know, we, we always say we can't come to faith except by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The, in the Old Testament, when they come to faith, apart from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so the, the Holy Spirit is at work throughout all of the Old Testament. The Spirit is talked about in the Old Testament. The, 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 the difference I guess I want to make is that the Holy Spirit, as he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, he's connecting it with that gift received in baptism in the message of Jesus. And, and so, the part I have yeah. is to say that they didn't have the Holy Spirit and, they, and yet they had faith. I can't see how see, they could disconnect. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't say how you can disconnect those two things. That it required the Holy Spirit in order for them to have the faith, not not of what Christ had done, yeah. because that hadn't happened yet. Yeah. But they had to have the Holy Spirit in order to believe that it was going to happen. That's the part that yeah. That I'm struggling yeah. with. Yeah. Wasn't this a promise though that they were going to be told they're not? Yeah. They. These. Yeah. Here's again, if if perhaps we knew more, perhaps that would explain things. Maybe it wouldn't. But my point in saying 
John's ministry is always connected to Jesus. Did, did he ever beat around the bush? Uh, you know, it's, there's, there's one coming greater. What am I doing? I'm preparing the way. These people don't know anything about that. They, 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 they seem not to. You don't know that you agree with that? Well, it said, how could it be? They said, when you believe, what did they believe in? It says here, you know, in verse 2. Right, and they said, no. Well, that, it begged the question because Paul, Paul's try, he asked that question and they, they're like, no. He's like, well, do you, do you know about the Holy Spirit? And they're like, what Holy Spirit? So Paul himself is trying to figure out, what do you believe? What, what do you know? So calling them disciples before they're disciples? Luke, Luke is in narrating it. Yeah. Are they and and that's where my, my question is by calling them disciples, what what was it that made them look like disciples? What what was it that it's because of John's message? Yeah. And uh, which is all they had. Yeah. Which is all they had prior to Christ fulfilling it. In John's message. I'm saying there's there's a connection to the Messiah to Jesus. I, I I don't know how anybody else could have given them that message about John without mentioning that they're not they don't look like they're in a position of like we're we're like the Ethiopian eunuch like who is this one you know I, I'm waiting for something more and I don't understand this they seem to have everything they they think they need. Either whoever told them about John cut out the Jesus part, the Messiah part, because they re they themselves didn't believe it, or which seems less likely, but it, it's it's hard to know. It's it's a confused mess here. Did they tell them about John and Jesus, but they rejected the message about Jesus? So yes, they knew about John. Yes, they believed in him, but they did not believe about Jesus. And I don't think that's true. I think it's the former, that somebody told them an incomplete message. So they did not have the full message of Jesus. Now, does, does that mean that if they would have all died right then, would, you know, where, where would they go? The, the question that we want, what, what was in their heart? In the Old Testament, yes, they, they did not yet receive Jesus, but you know, as Sharon said, they believed in, in that promise of what God is doing. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, right? In faith. They, they lived by that faith, but they hadn't yet received that full promise. These people could have had the, the best of intentions and wanted to know more, but they just, they didn't have Jesus. They needed somebody to bring Jesus, and John is, or sorry, John, Paul is the one who does that. Um, in that case, it's not that they previously had rejected Jesus, it's just they did not know. And is there a new and special giving of the Holy Spirit through Jesus? Yes. And that's what Paul is highlighting. That's what Luke is highlighting. So Luke doesn't spend a lot of time on the question, well, you already have the Holy Spirit, you know, guys, but here, you, you, you should receive this, the Holy Spirit, this way or, or through baptism. Paul doesn't really spend a lot of time. He's like, oh, 
You've only have, have John's baptism. Jesus commanded us to baptize. Jesus gives this gift of baptism. Will, will you receive this gift? And again, it, it, it's pretty quickly written, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of arguing or fighting. It's like, yeah, let, let's receive that gift. That's what we want. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm speaking in, in two broad brush strokes, but there's something different and new that, that's happening with receiving this baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying that's further verified and confirmed by this special sign of them speaking in tongues. Because that doesn't happen every place, which doesn't negate all of those other baptisms, but it, it's a special giving that, that God gives to confirm this is it. This is my work here among these people. Holy Spirit is true God from eternity, just like the Father and the Son. If Christ was never raised from the dead, there'd be a bigger problem. Um, but but uh, he, when he ascends, he, he says that you, you can't, he's going to give the Holy Spirit in, in, a, in a, a new and special way. Just like in Jesus, that, that there are times when he is filled with the Holy Spirit. That it's, that's specifically mentioned. And it's like, well, was, was he not filled with the Holy Spirit the, the, the other times? Uh, no, it's just when the Holy Spirit is mentioned, it's, it, it is highlighting a, 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 a special work or a new thing that, that Jesus is doing in his ministry. Um, but the, the Holy Spirit is true God from all eternity. The Holy Spirit is there in the Old Testament, there from the opening verses in Genesis. But the Holy Spirit does not come into as much focus until Pentecost and after Pentecost. But even then, the Holy Spirit comes into focus at Pentecost and after for what purpose? To Uh, there, there would be some things I, I would I, I might clean up about about what what you're saying, but yes, his death and resurrection is key to all of that. But he can't do that if he were not God, and he's always been he's always been God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, so so maybe after this we'll do a, a Bible study on the Holy Spirit because there's there's a lot of a lot of questions, and here a lot of those questions are not going to be answered. We're I, like you know, as as we ask them, I'm thinking about well, there's this verse and there's this verse. We're we're going to be jumping around. Of yes, the Holy Spirit's always been there. The Holy Spirit is true God from all eternity. But the way that the Holy Spirit has worked and what the Holy Spirit has been doing, uh, it, it does change when Jesus comes. Uh, it's always believing the word of God, but now it's the word that has been accomplished in Jesus's own life, death, and resurrection, and the, the special promise that Jesus gives about giving the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, who will lead you into all truth, into my words. Sylvia? Sure. Why? Why say If some if somebody was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but not at our church, at some other church, and they came here and we said, "Have you been baptized?" and in the name of the Father, and this, yeah, we we would not baptize them again. We would say, "You have already been baptized. You have already received those those gifts. Uh, they they are yours." John's baptism. Is is not the same. There is there is a separation between them. I'll 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 write some things up and yeah. I don't think he sees it either. Yeah. When I go see it. Yeah. Luther says. All right. There is a diff This is the difference between the baptism of Christ and that of John. John neither gives nor brings forgiveness of sin. He only points people to him who does bestow it. In John's baptism, forgiveness is promised. In Christ's baptism, it is given. Thus, John's baptism is no longer valid now. So what about the people that died in the Old Testament? Are they not saved? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. The, John's baptism was just this very, very short, brief ministry, which is fulfilled. You know, we had it a few weeks ago. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he's He's pointing them in faith, not even to that baptism that he's doing, but to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Yeah. Yes. Francis Peeper. Yes. Yeah. He says, John's baptism is a means of grace. That is, it's the power to give and effect faith, for it is described as a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sin. Yeah. There we go. So we we have people in Luther. We're gonna have to get. We have to sit them down and. They don't agree. Yeah. I would say for all those pastors who went through back in the fifties and sixties, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. The bottom line is, at the end of the day, John's baptism and Jesus's baptism are are not the same. Um, what. We want to say John's baptism did versus what Jesus' baptism does. Uh, we, we can get into that, but I, I think this is pretty good evidence as Paul treats them not as the same. Nowhere else does Paul rebaptize anybody. 
In fact, Paul strictly says there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Um, and, and so, and we, like I said, in our practice, in Christian practice, we do not rebaptize. If there's somebody who has been baptized with a non-Trinitarian baptism, we would. Because we would say, they, you have not been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've, you might have been washed or sprinkled or immersed or whatever, but that's, that wasn't this. And what this is, is not us. It's, it's God at work. Mm-hmm. Right. They, <laughs> they, they put a contrast between a water baptism and a baptism of the Spirit, and we say they're, they're all one package. They're, they're all there together. <laughs> so, at the end of the day, <laughs> this is... This is not a, a, an easy section of scripture. It's, it's weird. There's stuff happening. There's confusion. We, 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 we wind our way through it and try to figure out. I said, my big thing is, there's, if Luke would have given us more, more to go on, I think some, some of the problems might go away or they might make more sense. But he, he doesn't dwell on it. And I said, the other thing is that it seems to me to connect with Apollos and the fact that there's, there's some people going around that just don't have the complete message, which only, again, emphasizes how important Paul's ministry is. That, that he has to go around, and with some people he's starting at, at the zero foundation. At some people, there's a foundation there, but it's the wrong foundation. He has to kind of tear it down first so he can start again with the right foundation. And it's, it's messy. Um, and so when you read all of these letters that Paul writes, you start to become a little bit more understanding. For instance, the letter to the Galatians, when he says, you guys are abandoning the gospel. There are other people at work among you that are trying to, you know, get you to, to start doing this or start believing that, and you can't leave that. Not what I taught you, because it's from God. This is the foundation, the only foundation. Um, but, but here, there, there's this strange stuff going on, and um, the, the things that, that I would focus on at, at the end of the day is when Paul finds people who have not been baptized, have not heard the gospel, do not know about Jesus, task number one is to fix those things. And here, he saw things that were incomplete, things that were not the way they were supposed to. Uh, unlike me, maybe he did this, Luke doesn't tell us, he doesn't go through a big theological explanation and treatise, he just says, oh, you haven't received Jesus' baptism? Let's do that. And the people, probably not being theological professors themselves who even know who Peeper is, they, they're like, oh, we haven't received it all? Well, yeah, let's, let's get everything. And, and they do. And everything seems kind of hunky-dory. I wish to say that this is the only place where there's confusion in Ephesus, but we're going to come to another really strange episode 
where the people see Paul at work among them. They see his power in God. They see that he can cast out unclean spirits, and they start saying, well, that's easy enough. We, we watched him do a couple of these. Let's us try to do that. And so we have these individuals who go around, try to cast out spirits in the name of Jesus, and there's this humorous thing that happens. The evil spirits are saying, I know Paul, I know Jesus, yep, but who in the world are you guys? Who are you to tell us what to do? And things kind of end up uh, going backwards for them, which, again, the context of that world is that they live in a world of magic. They live in a world of the supernatural. It's very different from our world. Uh, we're, we're this scientific world. We, we don't believe in any of that junk. But they are knee-deep in it. Idolatry, all that stuff is connected to the power of the spirits. You seek out healers who will uh, speak incantations. All of that stuff, it's there. And so they see Paul, and he looks like a magician to them. We've run across that a couple of times, right? And they say, oh, we can do that too. But it's not just the words. It's faith. It's faith in those words. God does not give us his words just to, to throw around, you know? This, this is a gospel to be believed in. This is a Lord, a Savior to trust and to love. And these people were not trying to do any of that. They're trying to make a name for themselves and be almighty and powerful. So um, that's, that's the, the next episode there that I uh, very quickly summarized because I want to at least make a little bit more progress. Next time, we'll still be in chapter 19, but we'll go to the next step of riots. So Paul has spent a lot of time there, and he's made an impact. How do we know he's made an impact? Because people are starting to hate him. People are starting to gang up against him because you're changing our world. You're changing the way people think and act and believe, and they're not coming to the magic shop anymore. They're not coming to the idol store anymore. They're not going to the temple. The priests are starting to get hungry. Well, Paul's starting to make an impact, and so we get him uh, before the whole crowd of Ephesus in, in a theater, and uh, is, is he going to be thrown to the to the dogs? Is he going to have to run tail himself and hide? Or will he continue in spite of that opposition? We'll find out next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this Bible study. If you have questions or comments about something you've heard, let us know by leaving us a comment on our webpage, stpaulslutheran.net, and look for the menu About Us. Our Bible class meets Sunday mornings at 9.50 a.m. at 1780 Career Center Road, Bourbonnet, Illinois, 60914. We'd love to see you there. Come and grow together in Christ with us.